Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. You're listening to From the Pink Seats Podcast of the State of Louisville Podcast Network. Now, here's your host, Jacob Lane, Matt McGavin, and Vince Lococo. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome into another episode of From the Pink Seats Podcast. Jacob Lane, Matt McGavin, Vincent Lococo. We got a lot of football to talk about. A very um, interesting weekend. Uh, the first ever ACC championship football weekend didn't go as we had hoped. But still, nonetheless, we are back to talk uh, Louisville, Florida State. Talk about the offseason. Some bowl talk. And we'll get into a variety of other things on the show. From the Pink Seats Podcast, presented by Frankfurt Avenue Liquors and Wine. You can find them on Frankfurt Avenue. Avenue, right next to the Manhattan Project. Full bar, package goods store. Go in there, get you a beer at the bar. Full variety of liquors, all kinds of different brands there. Be sure to check them out or visit LouisvilleDrinks.com. State of Louisville Podcast Network, powered by our good friends at Kern's Corner. Matt and Vince, good to see you. How we doing? Well, I'm exhausted from covering all the transfer portal news, including news that broke literally just before we started recording. But, you know, other than that, can't complain. <laughs> Vince? Uh, you know, I'm good. Bummer this past weekend. That was a bummer, but you know, it is what it is. Move on. That's right. Oh, you know, we were talking, you highlight Kearns and the sponsorship. Uh, I know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy. So I ended up getting Kearns Corner clam chowder at the lake house. And oh my God, Fridays, whenever they have clam chowder, y'all go. Just trust me and go. And that's the, like, you that's might be like, exactly. You might be like, what the, what the F that's that you're sending me to a burger place for clam chop. Just trust me and go. You trust the Vince on the fried bologna sandwich. There's no reason to turn your back now, uh, which by the way, now you can have whatever you want for breakfast, man. Congrats. Yeah. No more game days and fried <laughs> bologna unless you so choose. I mean, I feel like we're going to get right back on this game game day. It's going to be like the, the, the I'm ready to get hurt again meme. Vince going back to get his fried bologna sandwich yeah. prior to the holiday bowl. But hey, man, plenty of time. <laughs> yeah, plenty of time to let your uh, your digestive system relax as we get into the offseason uh, leading up to the exhibition game. I'm not even going to call it postseason, man. It is an exhibition game 
Uh, we'll get into all of that again. We got a, a variety of things to talk about tonight. Um, and of course, go, feel free to subscribe to the show if you haven't already from the Pink Seats Podcast, anywhere you get your shows from at Pink Seats Pod. We've got a little special interview at the end of this episode as well that we will uh, that hope that you'll stick around for. Uh, definitely some good things there. But fellas, let's dive right into this happy hour with Mr. and Mrs. Bourbon Company, which, by the way, guys, breaking news. This is massive news, okay? Massive. Are you ready? Bigger than any transfer portal news, bigger than any college football news, bigger than anything that you could imagine when it comes to the college football world. Are you ready for this? Is it huge? Oh, I'm ready. It's huge. You huge. can now go on the internet and in a few clicks of the button, you can add Mr. and Mrs. Bourbon into your cart and you can have it shipped directly to your front door. Dangerous. That's dangerous. Jim. Did you hear that? Do I need That's to repeat great that? news. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. and Mrs. The Bourbon of Russ Smith. You can now have it shipped directly to your door. No more store locators. No more driving liquor store to liquor store. It's as simple as a click of a button. Check it out. This is at sealbox.com. That's S-E-E-L-B-A-C-H-S.com slash collection slash Mr. and Mrs. Bourbon Company. We will we will absolutely tweet that link out so you have that. But you can go on there now, buy four of the bottles on the website, have that shipped directly to your front door, and they bring you happy hour. Let's get right into this, man. And this is a, uh, the starting point. I feel like Vince is probably never been prouder than me for a couple of reasons. One, this weekend, I don't know what it is, not sleeping well. Got into the mafia mob world of content, and I have not been able to get out of it since. This comes straight from that. Cheers to Italian bosses being football bosses. Do you guys know Big Dom? Do you know a Big Dom, Vince, in your life? Is there anybody that you're just like, hey, it's Big Dom? I know a Big Dom, but he's not so big. Yeah, see, I, it doesn't have to be though. That's just an Italian, just an Italian nickname. But shout out to Dom DeSandro. That may not be a football name that you're familiar with. He is the head of security for the Philadelphia Eagles. And this weekend, we were introduced to him. There's a lot of things that happened on the sideline of football games this weekend. But we got introduced to Dom DeSandro, who wants all the smoke with full padded NFL defensive ends, defensive linebackers, cornerbacks. Him and Dre Greenlaw, right, a starter for the 49ers in this game. It's a heated game, and Philly's, get, Philly's getting their butts kicked, right? They're not used to getting torched like this. And I don't know what the score was, so maybe at this point it, it was a moot point. But there is a scuffle on the sidelines that ensues, and all of a sudden this beefy man who doesn't have any padding, <laughs> no protection. I've never seen a sideline personnel member so unafraid and so blissfully unaware of what they are getting into, only to step in the moment and just – Freaking own it, man. Putting the finger right to the face of Dre Greenlaw, getting ejected. It's just afterwards, Coach Nick Sirianni said he was sad. I mean, it's just that just tells you everything you need to know. I mean, it's it's perfect, Jacob. I mean, from the name to the finger pointing to, you know, just I mean, just his whole mantra of who he was on the field. I mean, it's, it's absolutely perfect. Where'd you start on mob movies? Well, so we're not to the movies yet. We started with docu-series on Netflix, okay? I just got to consume, you know, I, I'm like a toddler. My attention span is very little. So I need I need many series, three episodes. So we started with Get Gotti. Very interesting. Loved it. Watched yeah. it in two Gotti's, Gotti's kind of, he's, uh, he's the one that, in my opinion, like with how much he like publicized everything, just not good. 
Yes. Okay. So, and we don't good, need to dive too into this. No. I just find it interesting that this this docu series covers John Gotti in in the late eighties. Like the mafia owns New York, and the like. That is just thinking through that. That doesn't sound like real life. And this is just like thirty years <laughs> ago. So I have been diving deep into the content of the mob underworld and to Dom DeSandro's. It's just Italian football bosses are another level of well, football dudes. Newsflash: They still run everything. Well, do they? Know, maybe do I'll they? get there. Maybe I I'll don't know. Ask, we'll ask, ask, ask the committee. Ask the committee, Matt. Ask that's, them. That's, yeah, that's that's fair. That's fair. All right, how about this? Cheers to the big boys. Go to the Big Twelve with Texas this weekend against Oklahoma State. There's a couple of things from this game. Were any of you all wrestling fans growing up? Of course, and yes, the okay. Undertaker on a Texas sideline got me absolutely fucking hyped. Over the years, we've seen The Undertaker appear at random sporting events. Do you remember in the NBA Finals, he celebrated with the Cleveland <laughs> yes, Cavaliers right. in their locker room? Like, yep. hey, this dude is like Drake, but it's The Undertaker, so nobody says anything, right? He just pops up, and all of a sudden, he's handing a title belt to Quinn Ewers. What are you going to say? It's the dead man. He's going to choke slam me if you say anything. That's right, man. All of a sudden, you're going to see somebody buried alive, struck by lightning. like it, or, or, you know, I don't know. Were you more of a fan of the... Undertaker that like the the walking dead man undertaker or the the motorcycle undertaker was, that we got for a brief time period in our very I was not youth years. I was not all the way in on the American badass undertaker. I was definitely more walk in undertaker, but I was Hardy boy all the way. Jeff Hardy stuff was sick to me. See, yeah, I was a I love that man. I was a big my two of my favorites were Rob Van Dam and Kane when they were a, a tag team. It was yeah, just some yeah. of the best days of wrestling. Stuff, yes. Great stuff, man. Great stuff. But I I did enjoy the smackdown video game as a as a youth right and oh, the, the undertaker well the undertaker with the motorcycle was some of the best video game wrestling action you'll ever get like i grew up on the nintendo 64 just uber pixelated you know you're getting the chairs out of the crowd video game to then smackdown riding in this motorcycle with the fist you remember the massive smackdown fist like yes just incredible days, but the, the Undertaker popping up with the Big 12 WWE partnership, I find it fascinating. Um, just great to see. And then also in that game, Matt, I, this has got to make you happy. I, a big boy touchdown. Not only did a defensive lineman score a touchdown <laughs> this weekend, but he struck the Heisman pose. So shout out to Devondre Sweat. Oh, yeah. No, De Devondre Sweat, like, I mean, he's already one of the most dominant interior D linemen in all of college football. So it's not like just like some regular big boy going out there and, and just doing the Heisman, like, like, okay, any regular guy. No, like, this guy could have made a legitimate case to go to New York, and he's out there, you know, just doing what every big boy of his caliber wants to do. Versatile, man, and be ready for your moment. It's a life lesson for all of us. Cheers to being ready for your moment, right? That's, that's for him, one chance, one shot. One shiny moment. Know the rest. That's right, man. <laughs> and, look, I was thinking about this as we started the show. If I could pick any defensive lineman, I think we've talked about this, and put them on offense consistently, think about Yaya Diaby, yeah, hell, Mason Ryger. I could see this dude being a two-way player, right? He could become like the – what's the dude's name that plays for the Ravens? Ultimate badass, Patrick Ricard. Defensive lineman, fullback, let's do it. Mason Ryger. But you think about some of the, the beefy defensive linemen, the D'Angelo Browns, the Sheldon Wright. Like, imagine one of them just getting this moment in 2016 with Lamar and striking a Heisman pose. Like, just – it's That's just – Poetic justice, man. That, that would have been perfect. I'm thinking Lucas McNeil, who ended up going to play uh, some NFL ball for a little while. He, he would have been the perfect one. Just big body. Yeah, perfect. Here for it. All right. Shout out to – cheers to Coach O, man. Tell me a little bit about Coach O getting back into college football. I love these these reunions and these retreads starting 
back well it, it's the classic it's the classic everybody uh water fans get extremely excited because you know recruiter this great recruiter comes back is coming back into college football and everything and going to be the d-line coach and that's what he's known for and everything and he was never really meant to be a head coach and stuff but you know we'll see i think i'm a person of uh that believes football is a lot better whenever coach coach o's on the football field I'll, I'll i'll say this no one loves each other quite like the sec right oh yeah no doubt or yeah, or, just... or coach o and you know the son well that too like is there he... a bigger is there a bigger circle jerk than the SEC, like in life? Oh hell no! Oh, all right, getting right into it. Cheers to the college football playoff being an absolute joke. Yeah, right. I mean, think about it. The SEC is just—it's a circle jerk. There's no better way to describe it than just a bunch of football guys and and football gals just always being on for their conference. I I, I help me understand because personally was going at it in the ACC does outside Louisville. I don't know how you all feel. Like I just want Louisville to win, and I don't. I'm not going to sit over here and beat my chest. Like the ACC's had a winning record, had a winning record against the SEC, and I didn't know that until the SEC fans started bringing up and talking shit about everything. Then I'm like, yeah. oh, well, now we, I guess this is ammo to the to the gun clip. But I mean, it's stupid. It goes against absolutely everything that you teach your kids in, like Trinity, it won every game in the playoffs, and. You know, it's like you're going to get to the end and be like, ah, guys, sorry, you know, can't can't play for a state championship. It just doesn't make sense to me. I, I don't get it. Like having a zero behind your de- behind in the in the loss column has to mean something at some point. What do you play the games for? Right. There was. A yeah. What are you that, doing? Uh, mm-hmm. Hello. You play to win the game. Right. I mean, the, that's the, the... the games have to matter at some point. I mean. Think of what you want about the ACC, but they were in Florida State was an undefeated power champion. Literally, the the college football playoff has never left out one of those. And I, yeah, the SEC, oh, they've never been left out. But like, there's not a requirement that you have to put the SEC in. This isn't this isn't the SEC Invitational. Just because right. <laughs> it's just because the SEC is the best league and college football doesn't mean they have to have a team in every year like at some point the on-field games that you play have to matter and instead you get all this politicking because the sec has this giant arm of propaganda but it's like that what's the point of texas going to to alabama and beating them what is what is the point of that why schedule that game anymore why exactly and that's well the difference is this it's all um it's all moot point right because is next year not the introduction of a 12 team playoff right i mean that that's the thing is it's going to be vastly different when everyone gets in i mean we might have this conversation right I, around like oh we're gonna probably be having this conversation next year I don't and it's gonna be like old miss and mississippi <laughs> state we're like and they somehow <laughs> sneak into the final two spots and we're talking about you know uh, like tcu and freaking you know Oregon getting left out and it's like well the sec you know we got to have four teams in there now because there's 12 you got to make up one third of the of the playoffs it's the Dude, sec hello i do feel bad for georgia like that sucks <laughs> like winning all this Give like me, i dude i look i I even though last, even though the past two years don't matter, like it doesn't matter. What have you done for me lately? You lost. I don't get them out. Of, they were the most boring team in college football this year, and I only watched maybe a handful of games, and maybe that's a small sample size. But in the games that I watched of Georgia, there's just no electricity to them. 
It's it's nothing. They, and they're, if I'm not mistaken, their strength of schedule was fairly kind of weak. I don't, I don't know. No, it wasn't. It was the toughest schedule the in the world. It's the SEC. I am a blitz. Love I mean, God. I swear, SEC fans think every single team they face on their schedule is like 20, like mid 2010s Alabama, 2019 LSU, uh, the Tebow Gators, like. Yeah, you know, every every team you play every year is is the toughest team you've ever faced. Meanwhile, you've got crap bums like Arkansas, Mississippi State, Vanderbilt. Just, they're not any different from any other conference. Yeah, they've got some big heavyweights, but they've also got some real stinkers at the bottom too. Just about like every other conference. I'll yeah. be damned. Right, it's, Imagine, cra- it's a crazy concept. <laughs> Imagine that. Some conferences have good teams and some conferences have bad teams. It's just this unreal. And, and Jacob, it's sometimes guess what? That like a coach might leave and stuff might flip flop. That then the bad teams get good and the good teams get bad. It's like, oh my gosh. Yeah, incredible. I mean, well, you know, I think the the irony in all of this is that Florida State is a power brand. They are a name brand and for college football and yet got treated like a Louisville. I mean, maybe it's nice for once yeah. to see other people get treated like a Louisville. Right. Cause if we know this is there was no way Louisville was getting in if this was them in this exact same spot, same record, whatever the case is. No chance. Anyways, any final thoughts, any final cheers, fellas, before we jump into talking about Louisville and Florida State, a much less uh desirable conversation. Let's dive right into it. Let's do it, man. Well 16 to 6 is not the score I thought we'd get in this game. Um the defenses we we went into the show uh, or into the game last weekend and we talked a lot about how I, I think we almost called this directly, right? We talked about and this was before we even knew that uh Tate Rotomaker wasn't going to play, but we talked about how the game was going to be influenced by Florida State running the football. There would be a very strong likelihood that Keon Coleman doesn't really get that volume that he got early in the season. They're going to get the running backs going. It's going to be all about the pass rush. They're going to make Louisville uh, throw the football. And by golly, that's what happened. Uh, and Louisville <laughs> certainly missed out on their opportunities. But um, And you can make the argument that Louisville beat themselves in a lot of ways. We'll get into the specifics of that. And I would agree with you to some extent. But what what is so frustrating about this whole college football playoff thing is that – Florida State defense was an old school Florida State defense. They were physical. They were fast. They got to the quarterback. They could cover. I mean, I watched rewatched the game this afternoon, and I could maybe count on my my hands and my feet the amount of times that Louisville receivers got open, like literally got open. The, yeah. the sacks were coverage sacks. They yeah. were just more athletic, faster, stronger than Louisville. They wore them out eventually in the wrong in the long run. Right, Louisville still again. Some of the, the shit that went down. Just frustrating. The Jack Plummer conversation continues on oh, yeah. because of the fact that you make the mistakes when you do. But still, point being, right? 10-point loss in the first ever ACC championship. I'm not here for moral victories. Louisville got beat in this game, but it's not to some the one of the it's not to some bottom feeders. This is the best team in the ACC. They should have been in the college football playoff. You can live with it in some ways, but let's dive right into this in a, a more abbreviated, buttoned-up version of Vince's game notes. Vince, let's talk about this game, man, because it's very fascinating to see how this played out in real time. Well, I mean, obviously, it's the whole story. You know, starts with the offense, starts and ends with the offense. I thought the defense played a, a fairly good game for you know all things considered, but offensive line was uh, was really struggling with the pass rush. Like Jacob was talking about earlier, it was uh, 
you know, some more coverage sacks. So, you know, obviously it'd just be man on man and Tom would eventually, you know, get the better of Jack. Uh, and at the same time, they were running that end loop that, you know, the announcers drew it up 50 times. I think it's drilled into my brain at this point, if it wasn't already before, uh, you know, where they're crashing those two guys down and then looping the end around. And it just provided for a bad matchup. And it seemed like our guard, our guard was either, you know, crashing down with his man or the tackle wouldn't pass off. Those two guys were on two completely separate you know, wavelengths with their communication for for the game. Yeah, that's two that's two weeks in a row on that because that was the same thing. Kentucky, if you remember, we talked about it last week. It's same thing here. They played well, right? They played yeah. good, but they just simply went up against a better group and got a dose of reality with a Western Michigan yeah. transfer flying through on the second play of the game, just picking jaws up like a rag doll. Yeah, man. that was wild. Yeah. And like, and look, and Brian Hudson didn't have the best game. Right. And it, it, it's really hard to single him out. The tackles with. didn't really have a great, exactly. Game. The well, offensive line and as a whole didn't have a good game. And uh, I think if Brian's, you know, a bit healthier, a little bit healthier than what he is, just, just even a, you know, 5% more. I think yeah. he makes a lot of those blocks and there's not as many holdings and stuff like that. I mean, the dude's banged to hell at this point, but you know, right. that's I mean, literally of... made of duct tape at this point. I mean, literally <laughs> duct tape is holding him together and he's probably just oh, grunting right. his way through like, well, oh, fine. You know, <laughs> <laughs> right. what are down? One of the toughest, yeah, toughest dudes we've had in a while. Uh, Jack too, though. I mean, it's not like the offensive line had poor pass protection and the offensive line was poor every single play. And uh, some of those sacks were Jack stepping into it. It's his pocket awareness. He's bouncing around in there, man. Bro, it was. I've it was... never seen a six-year senior have less pocket awareness than Jack Fuller. What you say like, that, you... though, but there were a couple of plays in this game where you're like, holy shit, how do you get out of there? It's, it's a mixed bag each time. Le- less consistent. Pocket sure. pressure, I guess, is sure. the way to put it. But like, like Vince, you're probably about to say, like, there were times where he's climbing the pocket and he walks right into the defensive lineman. They're just coming right up the middle or coming up the the a gap. Exactly. And- Set them up a little bit. If you're gonna like the one that bothered me the most was whenever uh, one of the ends ended up going inside. Jack was stepping up in the pocket. Will step and then go around, spin out. Like it's a clear like. You, something you would expect, you know, a quarterback, to your point, Jacob, a six-year quarterback to make. And, uh, you know, he missed that ball to Lipson that could have been a good first down play. Who knows? Could have been a really big chunk play for us early in the game. That's the same ball that he threw a freaking interception on, the one that everybody was like, this is the worst Louisville interception we've ever seen, where he threw it straight to a guy two or three weeks ago. Um, Man, the, the another was kid, the read option plays or the the read in heavy quotation, like hand the ball off. We have an all-conference running back in that situation. You have to be a threat to run the ball. I will say, though, as far as Jack goes running the football, the numbers don't bear out to tell the full story of his impact in this game. Disappointing on that first big run where he was able to escape multiple guys, couldn't get the first down, not enough awareness to dive further towards the sticks rather than go out of bounds. That actually happened a couple of times in this game. I pointed out on the notes, but Jaws did the same thing on a second and one, goes out of bounds or on a second, gets to second and one, 
and then they don't convert on third and one and yeah. settle for a field goal. Uh, but uh, point being, and, and sorry to, to cut you off here, but Jack ran the ball really well when he needed to. 13 carries for negative 32 yards. Again, doesn't tell the story because the sack yards, the dumbest thing ever included in that total. But he had a couple of nice runs where I, he broke the, the contain and did what he needed to do. But he needs to realize that if your read man is Jared Verse, you're not going to outrun him. <laughs> That's not yeah. going to happen. Yeah, you need right. to know, like, yes, Jacob, yeah, he had good runs, and I, I agree with you. It was there. Maybe I'm being a little bit too critical of him running the football. Well, the numbers back but... your argument up here, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just, being realistic, you kind of win this one, dude. Uh, what do I know? Uh, the, the real killer, though, as everybody was complaining on Twitter and everywhere, was the interception, man. That's – you know, we're it, it's a, we're at a point in the game where we're like, all right, this is it. We're seizing the moment. We're seizing the game. This is it right here. And you know, we get an interception. And that play, the tight end Joey is not actually the guy you're supposed to throw the ball to. Clearly, uh, Joey's designed to you know pull that guy who turned and made the interception, pull him out of the play. And, you know, pull him out of the play and then come underneath with an angle route with Jawar. And if you go back and watch it, like, you'll be very frustrated because you will see Jawar coming underneath. And it would have just been Jack holding onto the ball a click longer and looking at his check. Something we've preached for two years on this show, two or three years, is, you know, throwing it to your running backs more. And that's one of those situations. I mean, like, that's a play that you run on, like, Madden and stuff. Back in the day, you know, you always hit your running back at in that route. Uh, man, that one was frustrating because that's that was the one that I felt like took that that just felt like a gut punch. And you know, it's not all on Jack and that. So I mean, Coach Brown didn't call the best game either. To his yeah, point. I got a lot of questions on what we're doing with the go route thing again, man. We did this against Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. It felt a lot like that in some ways where you're just like, can we run something besides a go route? I mean, can we do some some mesh Dude. concepts? Can we get something here? His, Jack's best routes or best balls, in my opinion, are the like one-two hitches to Jamari yeah. where we're getting separation mm-hmm. right there, and Jamari has two or three yards once the ball is caught to work against a defender. I I don't know about you guys. And he threw those ones uh, – wasn't necessarily a slant, but it was more like a stick route, a deeper, deeper slant to Jamari, which was a it was a dart, probably one of his better balls of the year. But I I agree with you, Jacob. The play calling, the go routes, it's just a, yeah, it's just really interesting, kind of how that gets all of a sudden like worked back in. You know, it's like yeah, back into the playbook. It's like hey, just put this back in there. Don't say anything. Uh, but no, and I also thought though, his wide receivers didn't help him. Um, yeah. one, Jimmy Callaway drops a fingertip. <laughs> 55 yard pass on the first second drive of the gotta game. Gotta make that play. Gotta make it. The, in the, the ACC commentators made it very clear. Gotta catch that. In the ACC championship, those are, you know, when you're seven and whatever, that's a pass you're looking at, like, oh, whatever, we got the next play. But in the ACC championship, those are plays that you have to make to win the damn game. The difference between having 11 wins and having 10 wins, like it really 100%. is. The margins are not big enough for Louisville to miss out on that. And then you have Jaden Thompson probably was a pass interference, wasn't called. Again, we got to talk about this six quarters of no penalties. Like at this point, man, like I need to know what the, the refs are betting on. What, what's their bet? Because I want to just tag along on that and see if I can't get in on the action. And, and you would have thought the other side too, Jacob. Like you would have thought it would have been completely different with how – you know, ESPN and everybody else, everybody in the country wanted the college football playoffs to go. 
I mean, it would have been a lot easier for those officials. Yeah, and I will say the interception uh, or the the tipped pass from from Jack um, uh, to over the head of um, uh, Deloach, just really frustrating um, because in reality, that's another one of those plays where if he gets that ball over his hands, Lifson's probably got a 25-30 yarder. Uh, I did love the pass passing to the running backs, though. I mean, he got Jaws on the first third down conversion of the game was an 18-yarder. <laughs> Got Garindo on a screen. They were really working that screen in late in the game to try to get something <laughs> going. Um, and I just – I really liked it as I, – I feel like one of the biggest developments but also missed opportunities this whole season was the tight ends. And, like, Vince, you said this probably a month ago. Do that play to Dwayne Martin six times a game. Like, why yeah, not? Yes. He's open all the time. Dwayne is yeah. a dude that can get multiple yards if you get him where he's, like, yeah, square. Right. I've always said that Dwayne is stiff as shit, so that's what you get whenever you're trying to turn a school bus <laughs> around a, tight, tightly around a corner. But, I mean. <laughs> that is a great visual of him catching that ball and trying to turn around and run. But, hey, 19 yards on a play, I think, is what he had this game. There was just when Jamari Thrash got hurt, and and obviously with a, uh, a an injured hand, wrist, arm, lower extremity, whatever they call it these days, lower body upper, I have no idea. It's you no know, one ever is is talking truth on an injury report in college football, but it's very clear that catching the football causes pain, right? We've heard that through the commentators, some of the stories they've told. He's probably talked some about that in media availability, Matt. You probably know a little bit more in detail, but. What has really not happened is receivers two, three, and four becoming consistent threats together, right, in one game. We've seen Callaway have a game. We've seen Amari Huggins-Bruce have a game. We've seen these guys, Kevin Coleman, right? He had the 58-yard touchdown against Miami. But never has Jack been able to get everybody consistently open, throwing the ball, you know, hitting everybody. This offense really thrived when they had Jamari Thrash because it opened so much up for everything else. And since then, it's just been a challenge to throw the football 88 yards or something like that this week. It's just, it's very unfortunate. Uh, let's talk about uh, everything else, Vince. What else in, in terms of this game? Well, I mean, we hit a little bit on the positive play calling that Jeff did have in the game. I mean, the screen pass to Jaws is a great play. Uh, what else do we have? Oh, the reverse uh, screen pass to Coleman was sexy as hell. I mean, I, I was myself, that the flea flicker? Uh, yeah, yeah, the flea. It was a reverse flea double flicker. reverse. Yeah, yeah, flea flicker. And <laughs> I thought we were going deep with it. I mean, traditionally you just go deep with the post on that. I didn't even see the running back leaking out, so I was very excited whenever Jack threw that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it was it was there were some good moments. I thought though one of the things that I, I heard um our good friend Spencer Brown say on the show with Mark Ennis and um Tyler Griever today was that he would have liked to potentially have seen Evan Conley get in on a on a goal line play. And while look, I know the results were what they were this year. We talked about this for the UK game. The jump pass was set up like it yeah, was set it was up there. for that oh, yeah. moment. You know, Florida State's going to sell on the run with Evan and all he has to do is just pop back and deliver a, a jump pass or, you know, maybe run that that action with a, a floating tight end on a high school Harry block type of deal. Um, but, I, you know, I, I do I do think that the, some of the screen calling really did get the offense moving when there was just nothing like it did force Florida State to run sideline to sideline, become a little bit more aggressive. And I don't necessarily think that Florida State's de- – I mean, did they clearly shut Louisville down when it came. But when Louisville got the ball, they were able to find open field on the four or five big plays that they had. What about the defense, though, Vince? I mean, th- this game was 
everything that we didn't see against Miami and Kentucky to some yeah. degree. I mean, at the end, it kind of got away a little bit with the Wildcat. It didn't feel like they were prepared for that, to be quite honest. But I, I what agree. did you see? What did you see with the defense? I mean, you have to commend the defense for coming out and holding steady for that long. I mean, up until the last couple minutes of the game, I was sitting there looking at my dad like we still oddly enough have a shot to make something happen here because the defense was playing so well, but the plays that they did hit were just strictly because the defense shot themselves in the foot. Uh, the long run where I can't remember his last name. Uh, number nine was what he was. Uh, so Philly. Yeah. Yes. Lawrence L A W R A N C Lawrence. That's what I kept calling well, the whole game. Our safety comes up and is blitzing on that play and ends up getting completely washed out. So he's done, right? And the linebackers get closed off by the pulling guards. And then at that point, the safety is so far deep that he's probably getting, you know, the running back has like a 15-yard head start on him. So he's got all day to make a move. And that's, you know, basically where you got that. And the second one was uh, Benson's run in the fourth. And uh, safety again got pushed out of the picture and, I mean, LBs get back. LBs get bounced out. It just wasn't pretty. It was a lot like, to your point, Jacob, what we saw against Miami, Kentucky. But for the most part of the game, I have nothing but like, I was happy with the defense, and I felt like we could win the damn football game. It's just frustrating as hell that we couldn't get anything going on offense. And people will complain about, mm-hmm. yeah, the penalties sucked. And I know people are going to point out like, the oh my god, like how is there no offensive pass interference? from uh, the wide receivers, but, like, that's something that we teach. Like, we te- if a guy's going to be up there and press with you, you know, you get your hands up and you check him before he checks you. I'm not just going to, as a wide receiver, is not just going to sit there. There's multiple different releases that you can use, but you can always just bench press the dude off you at the end of the day, and it's legal. They won't call it, and obviously you saw it in the game. And, you know, there's just – it was frustrating, man. I'm I'm pretty I was pretty frustrated on the last two and hopefully we can bounce back against USC who has a shaky defense. I'm happy that Caleb Williams isn't playing, so that's it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, th- this was the perfect get right game for the defense just because I mean, yeah, you were facing a third string quarterback and it was very clear after the first two drives that Mike Norvell had absolutely no trust in this guy to push the ball down the field. So that allowed Ron English to stack the box to allow the secondary and the corners specifically to kind of press the boundary and just kind of basically dare Florida State to, you know, try and, you know, pass the ball. And it was very obvious that Mike Mike Norvell was like, no, we're going to just try and keep running it. So they stayed disciplined. They kept to the assignments. And whether it was Trey Benson or Lawrence Tofili in there, I mean, they – they prevented big runs except for like maybe three or four runs on the entire night. Like they did a fantastic job. The wildcat runs. Like I, if you I go heard... back and you compile when the big run, I'm telling you that I think that was a second half adjustment from the, from the Norvell and company. Like, and it was a wonderful adjustment because they, like you said, Matt, they, they were running the ball. They were getting nothing in the passing game outside of a couple of the Johnny Wilson play. I think there was maybe one Keon Coleman and then a tight end big, catch but they weren't getting anything and they went to that wildcat and then all of a sudden i mean just louisville's defense i don't know that it was this this battle of too many guys enough guys in the box it was like you know in the three or four runs and it made all the difference i really expected jeff to outcoach mike norvell 
uh, you know, so in my opinion, kudos to them and Florida State, but it sucks seeing the opportunities there and us shoot shoot ourselves in the foot again, a lot like we did against Kentucky and uh, be sitting here in that same situation. So hopefully this isn't a lot like 2016 where it's a three-game slope on the back end of the year off a good season, which, I mean, we look back at 2016 now and we're like, oh, that's fun. But in all reality, that wasn't a good year. We just had a Heisman Trophy winner. Yeah, that's a great take. Uh, last thing on the defense, there was there was a lot to really put to take away from this. I thought um, the secondary played fantastic. Again, I know they weren't really moving the ball down the field, right? But if you're, we've been, we've seen a Louisville defense burned by a backup quarterback, a third string quarterback, plenty of times. Like Tate Rodemaker, Tate Rodemaker. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I feel like I could name like four or five guys over the last couple of years who have torched Louisville. Uh, but I felt like in this game, the secondary played well. The defensive line didn't get a, they didn't get home enough. I thought I saw again several plays where Ashton, you know, pushed the line the lineman too far past the quarterback and then had a bad angle at him. I thought they did a good job of trying to make Mason run after uh Glenn. They, you know, they they made they made things a little bit tricky for him, but the the interior of this defensive line, Ramon Pierre, Jeff Clark, they played extremely well. Jermaine Lole had a big uh, play on the first drive of the game for the defense, but my favorite play of the game. Okay. I know they lost a lot of, I, I'm not here for, like I said, moral victories, but just a little silver linings and things they did. Right. This is perfect segue into Jacob's sack update. Okay. <laughs> here we go. This is great play. That's right. why you get paid the big bucks. That's right. That's why I get paid the big bucks. Okay. You guys know I'm, I'm like a vanity football fan. I love all these little random things, right? Neck pads, back, back flips, flips, slant routes. <laughs> There's nothing on the defensive side of the ball that I love more than a good cornerback blitz, right? My and, and Madden, Mike Hilton is my guy. I, I love coming off the edge with Mike Hilton. He is one of my favorite blitzers, and I love a good nickel corner who can blitz the freaking quarterback, all right? So when I tell you that Ron English was in his bag as a play caller on drive number one, Here's what I mean, okay? Louisville stacks the defensive line. They bring five linemen up, right? They are – everybody knows they're bringing the house, right? And then the ball is snapped, and all of a sudden Storm Duck takes a full sprint inside between the outside linebacker and the nose tackle or defensive lineman, whoever it is. Perfect angle, blows it up, absolutely destroys Brock, Brock, Brocklin. Beautiful, right? You go back, you watch the all-22 of it or the, the highlight that they show, and again – what made this so so great is how they they took five secondary players, right, and made it feel like there was 50 guys back there. Florida State had nobody open. Storm Duck looks like he's dropping into coverage, takes advantage of a young quarterback blitzes. Just a fantastic play call. But when you're blitzing six guys, that's a potential recipe for disaster. Better get right? home. I mean, you better, better get home. You better get home. So that's why I say Storm Duck's first sack, probably only sack of the season, might have been the best blitz of the year. Gilbert Frierson, best fake blitz of the year. This is the best blitz of the year. Just beautiful. Probably absolutely the best, like, well. Collision. Yeah, just like, blew him the yeah. f up, man. Like, like I know he's feeling clean. That. It's really hard to get a clean like yes hit I, like that nowadays with how college man, football man. is. You know, all can't soft land shit. on him. Can't yeah, do nothing. Man, no. Can't hit mm. wide receivers in the head anymore. But I mean, it was a great play. I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, no, but you can't, right? I mean, you can't hit anybody anywhere near the head. Quincy Riley nearly ejected. Ooh, I was, was so close. nervous. Was close. Well, yeah. no, they they were look they weren't looking at Quincy. They were looking at Ashton. 
because of how he came from behind. They weren't looking at Quincy. So on the broadcast, they made it clear that it was Quincy Riley because he came in late. Um, and part of it was because Ashton was bringing Brocklin down uh, to the ground and they collided, but it was shoulder, whatever the case was. But yeah, it was a weird play, right? You knew like whatever. Yeah. But on the first drive, you know, Brendan Frisk, helmet to helmet on Jaws, right? I mean, that's just the oh way football gosh, goes. Yeah. I, mean, right. mm-hmm. I watched Wait, the replay, That was awful. Like, not targeting, but that is helmet to helmet. Like if I've ever seen it. It's not Miles Garrett getting his helmet stuck on the offensive lineman's helmet uh, this weekend from uh, I forget who they who the Browns played, but anyways, I would have looked at him square in the face and been like, "Well, who's got the helmet now, Miles?" <laughs> yeah, real, yeah, real, real baller moment right there. But let's just do a quick second. They 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 played well in this game. Uh, they end up with what four sacks, three sacks, I think three sacks, uh, four sacks. Sorry, not great at math here when you're adding a bunch of point fives. But here we go. The race, it's over, okay? We can nearly crown a winner. Ashton Gelati has 11 sacks. Unless Jason Ryder gets seven sacks in the bowl game. I think we have a clear-cut winner here. But you get some you get some, some returning action this weekend, some new action. Jalen Alderman, Stephen Heron, Jermaine Lolay, and Cam Wilson. Uh, RIP to his Louisville career. We'll get into that here in a little bit. Mm-hmm. All point five. This weekend, and then Storm Duck and Ramon Purier, which Ramon Purier sacked, setting the edge on that play. Just beautiful, right? Just absolutely beautiful. Again, though, what's a sack versus a TFL? I'm not sure we've established that what that looks like in reality. Because I, in on my notes, I'm like, oh, just nice TFL. I go back to the stats later. No, it's a sack. It's a sack. So great, great season. Louisville does a great job this year in getting after the quarterback. They need more. We'll talk about that later on. Ashton with 11, Mason with five, Ramon Purier with four. Shout out to the Eastern Eagles. I think that's the most sacks in a single season by an Eastern Eagle at the college football level. I I would need to do some digging there. Myron Pryor was a pretty dominant lineman, uh, but I I don't know. I think Ramon Purier's got it. Jared Dawson, two and a half. Des Tell, Cam Wilson with two. Jermaine Lole, Jalen Alderman, each one and a half. And then shout out to my to my point five guys. Plenty of point fivers in there. Um, they 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 did their thing this year, man. Um, need more of it though next year. We talked a little bit about Florida State being snubbed from the from the college football playoffs. So we'll um, we'll kind of skip past that here on the show notes. But I do want to quickly because we're really going to have probably close to like a two hour show at this point, and there's a lot to talk about. So that's justified. But um, what this means for Louisville this year, um, kind of the holistic view of the year. We're going to get into it as we do each off season with all the good fun data and and really the storylines and everything once the season wraps up, but you can't help, but just be beaming with joy. When you talk about Louisville football, I know that 10 and three is the, the final, the final record before you get into the bowl game, but still they were picked to finish eighth this season in the ACC. No one really had much faith that in year one of Jeff Brom, when I say nobody, I mean nationally, the ACC media, no one really thought that Louisville was going to be in a spot to contend for the ACC title, let alone get to Charlotte. The schedule was obviously a very uh, big narrative when it came to Louisville and the ease of schedule. But at the end of the year, you know, ACC sends, what, six teams to the bowl games, to bowl games, and Louisville beat, you know, what, five of them? I mean, it's just – uh, I, I, it's, it ended up working itself out in the way that it does when you just go out and you play the next team in front of you and you worry about just taking care of business. Um, I think overall in year one, there's a lot of 
unspoken frustration with Jeff Brom. And when I say that, what I mean is the Jack Plummer conversation, because when you start to dive into the, the argument with your buddies, when you're having a beer, just being dudes, naming where players went to college football and you get into the inevitable Jack Plummer conversation, they're like, why, you know, why didn't he go to Pierce Clarkson? Why didn't he go to, to Brock Allen? That's always the two that they're naming. Right. And Matt shakes his head because you just can't. You can't, right? Pierce Clarkson was 165 pounds when he came into college football, had played one and a half years of high-level starting football as a quarterback out West. Brock Allen didn't play as a freshman at Purdue. You know, we talked Brady about Allen. this offseason. Sorry, Brady Allen. But you talked about, Matt, how he wasn't great in spring, wasn't great in the fall. Harrison Bailey was a former five-star, didn't make it at UNLV. None of these guys, we saw what Brock and Evan were. Again, both capable guys, but you don't go to them unless you're in a real pickle. And Jack was third-team All-ACC. So if I told you at the beginning of the year, you're going to win 10 games, you're going to have a third-team All-ACC quarterback, you're going to beat Notre Dame, you're going to beat a ranked Duke, you're going to go and play in some of the biggest games of the season. And I, you all would be totally here for it, right? But people get so frustrated and they say, well, if this is what Jack Plummer is, why didn't Brom do something else? And that's where I say those unspoken frustrations. You point them at Jack, but that's a Jeff decision. He could have pulled Jack at any point this year. Yeah, you got to look at, to Matt's point, in the spring and fall, like you have to – Put yourself in Jeff's shoes and what he's seeing every day. And I'm not just talking, you know, what you see on Saturday. I'm saying Sunday to Thursday, what Jeff is seeing. Jeff is seeing how these other guys are preparing in the quarterback room, how much of the playbook they know, all that good stuff, how they're preparing every day at practice, how they prepare for the games. If Jeff doesn't have enough confidence to put one of those kids in, then he just doesn't have enough confidence, and there's a reason behind that. He's not just going to go out there and be like, all right, well, this kid was a damn good recruit. He's 170 pounds. Uh, he's pretty spotty in practice, but, he damn, he threw a good 60-yard post the other day in you know, period two of, of a Tuesday practice. Let's, let's throw him out there. No, that doesn't work that way. And, you know, Jack is probably the most consistent guy you see at practice Rep, every single rep, I guarantee it. And, you know, for whatever reason, just stuff hasn't just worked out the way it has in games. And and plus, like, if you are going to go to another quarterback in that situation, which I'll be honest, based on how Jack was playing in that game, I wouldn't have minded maybe at some point in the third quarter or to start the second half to put Brock or – Evan in a QB, probably Brock, because Evan's more so of that wildcat. But, like, if, if you're going to put another signal caller under seven, under signal, under center, excuse me, it's going to be Brock Doman it, or Evan Conley, because they've been QB2 and QB3 literally the entire season. And plus, it was even to the point where, like, the depth chart at QB was shortened to where. The only other QB on the depth chart was Harrison Bailey, who looked fantastic in the fall. So, and plus with Pierce and Brady Allen, Pierce, yeah, he looked really good in fall. He also wasn't able to play at all in the spring because of his broken toe. Brady Allen, he only got to get reps in the fall because he transferred uh, after the in the spring window. He looked 
terrible for most of small, most of fall. I'm sure he got better as the season long. I'm not saying he was terrible for the entire season. But, I mean, Pierce and Brady were wholly inexperienced compared to what either Brock or Evan would have brought to the table if you were going to go to a backup. So, like, even if Jeff did go to someone else for, like, a drive or two, it wasn't going to be who the fans were going to get, and they shouldn't have been surprised. It's like uh, whenever we had to go to Kyle Bolin against Kentucky, right? Like, that was only because of injury. You know, it's like Coach Petrino mm-hmm. probably wouldn't have went to Kyle in the third quarter of a tight game and been like, oh, so you just go in, go in. You got it. You got it this draft. Yeah. Like for a change, you know what I mean? Yeah, no. And, I mean, yeah. you know, Reggie didn't start that game great, you know, so there was a little bit more incentive to kind of do something. And yeah. the thing is, is, like, a move to Kyle in that season, like, it, clearly it sparked something, right? It, and they needed it yeah. in a moment of desperation. Can I ask you guys a question? Did you ever feel like outside of Georgia Tech there was desperation, maybe Pittsburgh, but are you going to make a quarterback change when, you know, it's it's pissing and pouring down rain? I mean, yeah. Jack, Jack right, had no business yeah. throwing the ben ball. Ben couldn't have threw the ball in that weather. Right. And <laughs> so that's my point. And, you know, look, we, we talk about what Brock could have been, but like, are you awe inspired by a quarterback who's thrown four career touchdowns and six interceptions? Same thing with Evan Conley. Like, are you, you remember really Brock going Tober. to him? You remember October happens, right? But we were not in Brocktober. We, yeah. we were past that window, man. Yeah, uh, but here's here's the the conversation I want to move to. Okay, I want to go out of the quarterback this year and the frustration with Jeff, and I I want to talk about you know um the rest of the the team and you know really where I thought he kind of flexed his coaching muscle was this ability to build a team differently than ever before. Now I say build, but they had the roster partially in place from Satterfield and company, but you know, kind of complemented it with some of the pieces they brought in. But when you look at what this team was, they were built to run the ball first and throw second, which is kind of different than what he's ever done before. And we talked all offseason about how this was different than Purdue. No more nerds. Like, you're you're all in on athleticism and speed. And Jeff came in, and it took him some time. And in moments, he reverted back to Tecmo, Tecmo Bowl Jeff and only pass, one pass, receiver. Pass, yeah, pass, 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 pass. pass. <laughs> um, and there was no tight end, right? So that's another development for And I for cannot Jeff. wait until we get that guy in. You know. Yeah, until no they find the guys we have now. Yeah, but and maybe that guy is on the roster. But Jeff showed this year that he can win um, in a variety of ways. He can win with the pieces that he has. He can build around the team and its talents rather than what we saw previously where you try to make guys fit into what you do. Um, and when they don't fit, you know, it's very obvious. I thought that all year long from the defense coming along in this, you know, from sacks to, you know, Havoc plays – you know, even with Ron English, he wasn't a guy at Purdue and even his other stops that blitzed or brought havoc. They were a four-man rush and then drop a lot of guys into coverage with the occasional fifth blitzer. I mean, we just talked about six guys on the line coming at the coming on a play where you have to get home or else they're going to give up a big play. All year long, you just saw the progression of this staff. I felt like outside of a few positions, most players got better. Um you know, there was guys like Cam Cam Kelly who became focal points of your defense who they brought in late and still were able to get them involved. I just thought this year we saw so many of the things 
solved that Satterfield was never able to to do, right? From the physicality to building a team differently to making yourself win in a way that's maybe unconventional from what you've done in the past um, to making every down count and playing with that one game, one down, have that look in your eyes. That's my new thing. Like, I love it. It's, I just, all the time, everything I do in life, I just <laughs> you, want to have look that at look Liam in my and, eyes. You look at Liam and you're like, you have that look in your eyes. You got to have your look, tell. that look in your eyes. You know, that's that's the Jeff Brown mantra. And they just, they showed you what they're capable of. And in year one to win 10 games, you know, I, I think you can definitely point and say, hey, why wasn't this better? But, you know, we could have asked for more, but. I mean, guys, pinch yourself compared to where we've been the last couple of years. I mean, shit, Matt and I were doing shows year one after they were getting pounded by, uh, you know, by teams they had no like Georgia Tech in twenty twenty. Like we gotta, we gotta come on here and turn the mics on no matter what, you know. Um, And now it's just like when you think about what you're talking about, it's it's just sometimes it's kind of mind boggling. But this is local football; it's what it should be. It it's nice, and it's it's nice to see the the direction, and you can really see where everything's going and. And it just it's like finding a piece of hair on your on the plate of your food of a nice steak restaurant like Jeff Ruby's. <laughs> like imagine finding a piece of hair on, on your food at Jeff Ruby's. You're like, I ah. just I don't know. Hair doesn't bother me. I'd probably just pick it out and keep eating it. My point honest. exactly. Yeah. That's ten and three. <laughs> That's ten and three. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it's I still mean, good though. <laughs> it's still really good. But you're damn like, that oh, fucking hair would have been better without that hair. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I've heard a couple of people kind of use this analogy. It. This season for Louisville, both they both overachieved and you know did things that a lot of people probably weren't completely expecting, but they also disappointed in the same breath. Now, if you're a Louisville football fan, you'd rather be somewhat disappointed when the team goes ten and three than when the team goes potentially seven and five. Thanks. You're disappointed. <laughs> you're disappointed in, in ten and three because you know damn well it could have been thirteen and zero. Yes. Which yes. I mean, I'm sure any any football fan will take. Florida State will take that. But that's not going <laughs> there. Too soon, man. That feels like a real stab in the heart. Yeah, it's, but no, undefeated Louisville's not getting in either. Florida State, if you hit. That's right. That's right. Again, I will say it does feel nice to not be that team, right? We were, we've been there, not at that level, but in some regards, yeah, we've been like the first like team the, out. Uh, that meme where it's been here before. The dude. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Well, let's do this. Let's go to a break, and on the other side, when we come back. I want to talk about a little bit. I don't want to dive into the details just yet because we have like twenty two days until the actual bowl game happens but i just want to talk about one particular storyline in this game that i think will continue to be something that we talk about each week um and then obviously matt alluded to this at the beginning of the show we have breaking news as we record tonight thank god we didn't get a news dump after the show like it's happened before we got breaking news right as we're about to record um, Twitter is sounding off on this. We got a lot of comments um, on our on the uh, thread asking for Louisville fans' opinions. We'll talk about who the quarterback is, what he means to this roster. I have a pretty, uh, I, I don't, I don't know if it's a take, but I have, I just have a, an opinion on this. Presley has provided researcher Presley from the distance has provided some great research. We will provide that data to you, uh, and we'll just talk about you know the off season. That's just where we are. Exhibition year is upon us, um, and the Holiday Bowl will happen. But uh, you know the the real focal point now is what's the team look like next year. Like we just ended the game on Saturday, the season Saturday. Next year, I'm worried about what the team's gonna look like in the bowl game. I'm yeah, that's right, guys, man. Uh, yeah. 
Well, I want to tell you all about a very, very cool thing that is happening with our friends over at Frankfurt Avenue Liquors and Wine. Right now, we are entering into some of my favorite time of the year. That is the holiday season. And around this city, there are a lot of great places to go and to to entertain yourself. Uh, But there is no better place to be than the Frankfurt Avenue Liquors and Wine Holiday Pop-Up Bar. This is brand new, just starting in December. They have this open Tuesday through Saturdays by reservations. Holiday cocktails, holiday vibes, the decorations is a very, very cool scene with some really, really cool cocktails, as I mentioned, that will um, get your holiday spirits in, in place, man, right? Now, football's over. For a little bit, we can focus on the holidays. We can focus on being merry and jolly, and we can then come back recharged, ready to talk about the holiday bowl on the other side. We will be at Frankfurt Avenue Liquors and Wine to experience not only the holiday bar, but for a live show soon. But I can't encourage you enough to check out the the holiday bar there. You make reservations by calling them. Here's the phone number, okay? Slow this down, half speed, 502-618-2019. For reservations Tuesday through Saturday. You can't show up and go in. You got to be, got to get that reservation. So, fellas, do your diligence, mark your calendars, tell your wives, tell your spouse, tell your significant other about the holiday, tell your bros about the holiday bar. Check it out, Frankfurt Avenue Liquors, right by uh, the Manhattan Project. We'll be right back on the other side. From the Pink Seats podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at Frankfurt Avenue Liquor and Wine. You can find them at 2115 Frankfurt Avenue, right next to the Manhattan Project. Full bar service and a full liquor store. Stop in there today and tell them from the Pink Seats podcast sent you. So Louisville will play in the Holiday Bowl in the exhibition season. This is the start to the 2024 year. This The bowl season outside of the college football playoff is the start to the next year, okay? That's the way that it goes. Louisville will play against USC in a game that uh, will be significantly discounted if USC loses, right? That's how it will go. Caleb Williams, not playing. Marshawn Lloyd, not playing. I would be willing to bet that there will be some defensive players that don't play. Taj Washington. They, they are going to be playing anyway. <laughs> Lincoln Riley's probably not playing. Yeah. Lincoln Riley says, guys, nope, not. I'm going right to go recruit. <laughs> I need to recruit the portal. Uh, but no, USC is still a name brand school. This is a big moment for Louisville. West Coast game. A lot of people frustrated. I can't afford to go to San Diego. I would love to. Would be really cool to go to a beach in December, uh, but not happening. So here's the storyline. Okay. And here's what I want to propose to you guys. You're Jeff Brom. You're in the in the Schnellenberger complex. You got your guys around you. You're preparing. You know that your repl- your roster is going to be depleted. You know probably by bowl season that, uh, you know, kind of like Squid Games, if you've been watching that on Netflix, that some folks around you probably won't make it to bowl season. Even in the coaching room, we're probably going to see somebody deflect. Maybe not. We'll see. But it does seem like, you know, every year at least one guy leaves, right? So the bowl game exhibition season you're preparing you're trying to figure out what you want to do luckily for louisville you got a lot of guys that are going to probably play in this game including cam kelly now it's his going to the draft that's awesome he's back mm-hmm. with magic quincy riley you got a lot of guys that need to prove in one more game that they are nfl ready big game for ash and gelati we're going to get into that in cash it or, uh, cash it or trash it i want to talk about that for sure here's my question to you guys what do you do at quarterback do you play jack, jack? Do you play them both? 
Look, the new rule in college football says you don't waste a game of your redshirt season if you play in a bowl game. Do you get a look at Pierce Clarkson right now? Look, I, I talked about some breaking news. Again, we'll get into that here in just a second. This is my one question about this game right now. I have no other thoughts on this game. We'll get to it in a couple of weeks. Do you play two quarterbacks? I say yes. Matt, what do you say? Nope. I mean, he's he's rode with Jack Plummer all the way up to this point of the season. I mean, might as well start him to finish it out. I mean, if if it plays out how I think it's going to play out, and uh, that Louisville's offense is just going to run roughshod on USC's defense because literally everyone has done so. I mean, I, I really do think that by the end of the third quarter and into the fourth, I mean, you'll be able to give backup reps to whoever the hell you want to. I mean, there's going to be ample opportunity to do that. And I hate to, like, be super – I hate to be that guy who – I've watched USC, dude. Their defense is fucking terrible. Yeah, they gave 49 points to Cal. Like, that's all you need to know. That's all you yeah. need to know. And Jack Plummer is licking his chops. Yeah, he's Jack Plummer is like, ready for my game. <laughs> and plus, they won't have to face literally the number one overall pick in next year's draft. I, I don't know how good their backup oh. is, but I know he ain't Caleb Williams. And I, I know they're like starting. Drake May. I think I'd rather have Drake May. I don't know. That's uh, another conversation uh, for another yeah, day. Yeah, but. And then, then they're starting running back from snuggles. the portal. He's just like, a better Sam Howell. I don't, I don't need a snuggly quarterback, man. I need a dog, man. I need a fucking dog. Not a, I want to go home and snuggle. snuggle anyway, sorry. Dog. Yeah, snuggle with my dog. He's snuggling with dogs. He's not a dog. He's pretty Anyways, soft. go ahead. I, I we got I'm way off the rails. I, 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 yeah, so, yeah, I think I've said all I need to say. No, Vince, what do you do? Because you have okay. So here, I go with a, Jack, and if the score permits, then I put the other guys in because I'm going out there to win the game. This is something that a lot of the seniors can write off with a high note. I know a lot of the guys that I played with took a lot of pride in that Music City Bowl win, so I would definitely play Jack. He gives you the best opportunity to win. Yes, unfortunately. Yes, and I I'm a, I'm with you. Start him. Play him for four quarters. But give Pierce or Brady, give him a give him a drive, give him two drives, give him some play calls. Depends on how he's something. playing. Yes. And, and okay. Here's so the we'll... thing. One, one sec. Why and why does it have to be Pierce or Brady? I mean, they've got several years left. I mean, Brock and Evan, they're going to be playing their last snaps in True, college. Let them play. <laughs> I feel like if you're trying to get a better understanding of how the future of your program is going to react to a uh, big game, big moment against a name brand in his state, in a state that you're trying to showcase that you can recruit, maybe not long-term, but that was to some extent what the narrative was last year. Why not give Pierce a drive? Why not? I'm not saying give him the ball for the game. I'm just saying a drive, two possession. I think to some, I think we're going to see one of those two guys. Well, and you know I think the, we might see Brock too. And it could be blowout status and it could be a drive, a possession, a play. I think Jeff will get those guys in, but I think it's extremely important when this is, again, I said this, this is the kickoff of the 2024 season, not the conclusion to the 2023 season technicalities. Yes, but not in reality because we're going to see half the team, a quarter of the team gone like that. We've already got seven guys in the portal. We're going to see probably another 10 by that point. Like in all reality, that's just college football. I just, don't, I just, my question is why not? Why not? Well, the problem is, is like they're going to put him in there. You're going to put him in there and hand the ball off. I'm sure he's got a great handoff. You know, he's throwing the ball. 
Again, like, if you put him, him in there at 21-14, then, you know, I'm not. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's pros and cons. Whatever. Yeah, no, I mean, you know. I, you can make the argument. I, I think it's just extremely important to see. It's intriguing. Progression. The, and I think it'll tell the story of where they're at in their development if they get snaps or not. Hey, them boys, guess what's going on right now? A lot, of bowl prep, a lot of bowl prep. And after every single one of those practices is young guys. Yeah. You guys, All right, let's, they are getting their opportunity. They will, and it's partially because guys are leaving, right? And that leads us right into the offseason talk. This really fits the narrative of where we're at. Now, look, when you look at the guys who have transferred out so far, no one outside of uh, Josh Mingans Jr. was likely, and Cam Wilson were likely to see the field in a bowl game, maybe Jackson Hamilton in extended roles. Everyone who has put, the por- put their names into the portal at this point has – um, really been a Satterfield redshirt freshman. Like that's just we we talked about this at the beginning of the offseason that Popeye eventually played the, some specs, but outside that, yes. Yeah, just the, yeah. And so did Jackson Hamilton, and so yeah. did you know some of these other guys, but we, you know, Raheem Craig. But the point being a lot of the seven that have gone into the portal, Vic Tone Brown, Raheem Craig, uh Marquise Groves, Killabrew, Jackson Hamilton, Josh Minkins, Popeye Williams, and Cam Wilson and Isaiah Reed ha- haven't really been big pieces to the team. Um, and when you look at the Josh Meekins transfer, that's the the one that hurts most because he is a local guy. He did start, uh, you know, what I think 20-something, 30-something games, 25 games over the course of his four-year career at Louisville. He's a legacy recruit, commit player. Um, his brother, you know, was was on the ro- is on the roster, and it's, you know, a family affair. We've gotten to know them. We've gotten to be close to them. I, you know, I'm very disappointed to see him go. Uh, I understand it. He's probably going to end up at Cincinnati. Um, maybe I'm wrong on that. I, his dad might be like, what the fuck are you talking about, yeah, man? You probably. don't know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, boy, shut up, man. No, he's not. But, like, it just, he's going to go somewhere and get an opportunity. Some of these guys, you know, they they want an opportunity to get on the field. Um, Matt, what are your overall thoughts? You've been grinding all day you got the tracker you got the articles you got the posts ah, he's been Social doing media. nothing what do you, what do you, what do you think AI. Yeah. He gets ai he types in cam wilson article ufl sad yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I am ai you've caught me but uh i mean i i just want to say this i mean i've i've seen the comments on mainly facebook is facebook is 90 percent accessible but it seems like every year since the transfer portals become a thing, like and whenever the first few days of like the portal window, and there's like an influx of guys who enter, who like most of them we we knew they were going to enter, people act like it's the end of the world and they're ruining college and cultural balls ruined and blah blah blah. And I'm like, are you not paying attention? I mean, no offense to you know guys like Victoire and you know, Raheem and. And then Isaiah Reed and guys like that, but like they they didn't get a lot of reps. They they weren't meaningful contributors, which you know I would have liked to seen a couple of those guys get more reps. But I mean, you know, it is what it is. They've got to do what's what's best for them and try to get the best opportunity. But at the end of the day, they weren't meaningful. Most of them were not meaningful contributors, say for Josh Minkins and uh, Cam Wilson. So, a lot of the transfer portal stuff you know, is mainly stuff you kind of expect. Cam Wilson was maybe a little bit of a surprise just because of the amount of D linemen who had already entered at that point. Minkins honestly was not that big of a surprise to me. 
just because MJ Griffin's coming back and he was arguably Louisville's top NFL prospect besides Gelati heading into the season. Uh, Devin Neal's coming back and he looked really good when he's elevated to his role. So trying to find a starting spot at safety on the back end was going to be tough sledding for him. So I can understand. I can understand maybe why he would want to move on. And, but other than that, I mean, it's just business as usual with the, with the transfer portal. Yeah, uh, this is the new reality. You know, we talked about this a couple yeah. weeks ago. It's it, uh, People are going to say, wow, you got seven transfers in two days. But, you know, you're going to turn over probably close to 30%, 40% of your roster year over year. And unfortunately, you know, we're going to see more of these scholarship casualties is what I'll call them. You know, just like you see cap casualties in the NFL and guys getting cut, you're going to see guys pushed out. That's just the reality of the situation. And Vince, you made the joke earlier in the group chat, like, will there ever be a four year senior? Probably not. Like, yeah, probably not. Wild, like you, you either like, go pro as a junior or get pushed out as a senior. Well, you know, right? who your you four either year die a hero. Will be. You either die a, a hero and live to see yourself become the villain. Like that's It'll just your the walk ons. Exactly. That's, a, that's right. who it'll be. Your four-year senior well, yeah. your walk-ons. We've had walk-ons even hit the portal today looking for their opportunity. Uh, in yeah. fact, you know, we got breaking news on the show. Vincent Lococo decided to make a comeback into college football. His eligibility remains. We're learning very quickly that seventh <laughs> and eighth and ninth years exist. Leads us right into our next point of Louisville's first yeah. transfer I just, portal I just, commitment. I, I just ex-athletic training staff to make sure my table was available for my knee rehab that I will need after I just run one sprint with the UVL football team. That's right. And uh, the breaking news is that Vincent Lococo is going to regain college eligibility, enter the transfer portal. Um, you know, much like a retired player goes on the retired list in the NFL, Vince has been on the end <laughs> retired list and uh, always had that extra eligibility prepared to use. And tonight he has, you know, been inspired by Tyler Shuck, Louisville's first transfer portal edition from Texas Tech, a 25-year-old seventh-year quarterback. Uh, Vince has decided to to put the cleats back on and try it again. He said, I don't need knees after what I've seen in football, man. You just need heart. <laughs> yeah, I'm taking the Will Compton route. You know, I'm just – I'm retired. This is year one. Year 10, like, baby. Year seven 10 and a half you. for me, eight and a half. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> eight and a half, whatever you want to go. Still, let's talk about this, though. In all seriousness, this is – uh, you know, this is big news considering we're talking a lot about the quarterback. Louisville goes out. Uh, they hit their first, uh, you know, they, they one for one at this point, right? We've seen over the years quarterback and point guard evade this program like nobody's business. They get the first guy, and maybe you might have a problem with that. Maybe that's that's a concern for you. But Louisville brings in Tyler Shuck. Spelled not like that, but that's how you pronounce it. I'm not <laughs> sure to learn today. I did some learning. He is a uh, byproduct of two schools, starting at Oregon, was the backup to Justin Herbert. How about that, how about that for college football years? My when you're when you're doing the, the the football math there, only to be pushed out for Bo Nix. How about that in terms of a uh, uh, one-two punch to you? Lands at Texas Tech, plays there for three years, starting um, in 2021, that COVID year, you might call it. A really interesting stat line, 36 touchdowns, uh, passing 17 interceptions, also considered a dual threat quarterback, 714 yards rushing in his career, 10 touchdowns. Um, he comes in never having played more than seven games in a season, asterisk COVID, because played all games in COVID, but 
that was a shortened season, right? So the rest of the years he's dealt with significant injuries. Matt, let me come to you first. Instant reaction. You hear him visiting the last couple of days. You started to kind of put the dots together after the Jaws tweet. What are your instant reactions? Tyler Shuck. Cautious optimism. Just because, I mean, when you when you look at his film, I'm just from the brief clips that I've seen so far, obviously I'll do a deeper dive in the coming days. But I mean, the dude can ball. He can sling it. He's got a he's got an arm. He's not saying Jack Plummer was a statue, but he's a lot more mobile than Jack Plummer. Um, like he he has the tools that you would want at, at the Power Five level, but that comes with a huge huge asterisk in the fact that he has not played a full healthy season for the last three years. In twenty one and twenty two, he had a broken collarbone in both of those seasons. And then he starts the first four games of this season before he gets knocked out for the rest of the year with a broken fibula, which thankfully from what I've heard, he he'll be a hundred percent cleared by January, which when early enrollee stuff kicks in. So he'll be good to go there. Um, I, it, it leaves me wondering if Louisville's efforts when it comes to pursuing a quarterback are completely done. Which I know, you know, Jeff Robinson multiple times he wants to have as much competition in that room as he can. And I don't know what the relationships are like with other prospective quarterbacks like a Tyler Van Dyke, like a DJ Uyunglele, you know, other guys like that. And I don't I don't know where those relationships go at this point, where those talks go at this point. But I'll I'll be curious to see in the next day or so, like what all happens at that position with other guys that they kind of have been in contact with because, you know, there, there is a lot of uncertainty with, with, with Shuck just because of how injury injury prone he's been over the last few seasons. But I, with, I say all that, but the caveat is like when he is healthy, he looks damn good. And he hasn't had a real chance to prove that he's damn good because he's been so hurt. And the last time, if he was able to have a full season, it wasn't a quote-unquote full season. And he led Oregon to the Pac-12 championship in a Fiesta Bowl. So he's capable. He just hasn't had the opportunity in recent years to do it. Here's an interesting thing I want to propose to you. In the day of NIL, where we're seeing more and more about these quarterbacks hitting the market, it's a million dollar offers for Cam Ward, a million dollar offers for you know Will Howard, million dollar offers for yeah. some of these other guys. One point five to two million for... is where you go for a quarterback yeah. right now. So let me ask you this, right? Louisville is it very much getting into the NIL game. They are growing their fan base, growing their donor base, getting into the action, making sure that fans understand that their their donations and what happens directly impacts recruiting. But it's almost like a salary cap situation, right? For In a a transfer portal where Louisville needs offensive linemen, defensive linemen, quarterbacks, cornerbacks, safeties, linebackers, can you afford to spend whatever your donation total is a million, 1.5 on a quarterback, you know, and say your donation. And I, I don't know. I'm just saying a number out loud, but say your donation base for your program is a couple million and you're spending one of that on your quarterback, right? Then you're spreading yourself then with like those minimum guys when you could go out to the portal 
bring in a Tyler Shuck who has his ups and his downs. He's an up. If he hits, great. If he doesn't, Pierce Clarkson probably plays. Brady Allen probably plays. So do you take the philosophy of paying that 1.5 for a quarterback, that 1 million, or build the positions around him, build up your skill positions, get your offensive linemen, get your defensive linemen, have that depth to be a more, you know, uh, more all around well-built team to go and attack and win. That's an interesting thing to kind of consider. I mean, I don't know. I, I think when you look at his game, I think that we saw late in the season, you know, just if you listen to the show and you listen to Vince's game notes, there's been this desire to run that speed option. There's been this desire to do this RPO late in the year that we didn't see late uh, or early with Jeff Brom. If you look at Tyler Shuck's highlights, the dude can run. He's a big fella. Like he is stout and, you know, kind of combines like the body of that prototypical NFL quarterback with a more rugged running game. He's not the 250 that DJ Uilungale is. Like, of course, like he's not that kind of freak, but he is a, a capable runner. He can run that offense. And so it does allow you to some extent to say, I'm going to kind of lean more into this RPO game. I'm going to lean more into my playbook of the running quarterback. And if it's Tyler Shuck, great. But if it's Pierce Clarkson, we don't have to switch the offense. We don't have to rewrite the script. We can continue to run the same offense that's built for Pierce, but he's still waiting in the wings for that handoff. I feel like next year is the prove it year for Pierce. You have to play yep. him. You have to play him or he will be in the portal. You have to. And I don't know if you bring in a DJ Uyelangale, a Will Howard, a Cam Ward, that you can make that argument, a Grayson McCall to play Pierce. I think you have to go all in on that guy and he'd be your guy and trust that he's going to get you to the national championship. Uh, and I just, I don't, I'm curious to see like, Matt, I'm with you. I feel like they might add two more quarterbacks, but uh, maybe it's a division two guy and another depth guy, you know what I mean? Or a five-star. I, 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 like I don't know. I like the move. Like you all have said, and I think that Jeff made a perfect situation where this is a guy he can win, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11 games, whatever you want to call it, whatever you want to set the cap at next year with. And he also knows that, you know, Pierce can beat this guy out. And if Pierce doesn't have the capability, leadership roles and all that stuff to beat this guy out, then we can roll with, we can, what's his last name? Shuck. Yeah, shuck. we can roll with Shuck. We can roll, we can shuck it. Shuck, shuck him up. Baby. We're going to be shuck shucking him up. Here's the here's the cliff notes from our good friend Grant Mulligan, who is the recruiting expert for the state of Louisville, right? G baby. Here's what he says. Pros, much bigger arm and velocity on passes than Jack Plummer. Best play comes in big games, rises to the occasion. Opposite of Jack Plummer. Legit dual threat. Great touch on deep throws. Cons. Durability. We see that very clearly. A lot of injuries, a lot of knees, a lot breaking of breaking your collarbone twice. Learn how to fall. Go to jiu-jitsu. <laughs> it worked for, work for Tua. Accuracy can get erratic when pressure. Decision making is not always A plus. Difficult to gauge true quarterback ability is we don't have a full body of work. That's the cliff notes. And I respect that. Shout out to Grant. Um, and so that's the interesting conversation is are they done? I don't know. What, I kind of hope so. Because I think in that room in particular, with how quarterbacks are, too many is going to be a toxic environment. It's like getting too many hot chicks in the same room. You know what I mean? It's, it's <laughs> toxic as hell. Only only one guy can play. Like exactly. You only got one ball and one quarterback. <laughs> I would love a football game where there's two footballs. That would make for some very Sick. interesting 
<laughs> very interesting games, but this reality, um, that's the that's the way that it is. But when you look at the big board outside of quarterback, there's a lot of names to know. Here, here are some of the big ones to keep in mind. And Matt, I want you to chime in here and just give me your top line, and then we're going to get into cash it or trash it with some some of the transfer portal stuff and all of this to close the show. Uh, but there are a very obvious couple of needs defensive line offensive line seem to be where they're spending the majority of their efforts outside of quarterback um they have already received visits from thor griffith i'm here for it i don't need any more explanations yeah. sign me up sign, sign me up guys you just sign and you gotta have on the roster sign me up defensive lineman 6'2, 320 out of harvard then cameron martinez uh we, we found out today a defensive back from ohio state will be an uh, official visitor Aeneas Peebles, a defensive tackle out of Duke, another official visitor, and then Tyler Shuck obviously committed. There are some other names to keep an eye on, some offers that are out there, some interest that has been rumored. Uh, my favorite is R.J. Oben, the son of Louisville uh, legend, Hall of Famer in the NFL, Roman Oben. Um, there are some other quarterbacks, as we mentioned, that are in the conversation, DJ Uilungale. Uh, Kyle McCord from Ohio State, Tyler Van Dyke still out there. And then you've got guys uh, like Chris Paul Jr., a.k.a. Pooh. Give me some Pooh Paul. I'm, I'm, I'm here for Pooh Paul, baby. Get some of that. And then you've got um, some offensive linemen that were offered the last couple of days in Lyndon Cooper out of NC State, a center. And then another great name, Remington Strickland from Texas A&M. So there's just a handful of names to keep an eye on. Uh, Matt, any thoughts on the portal, what to expect? Uh, I'm sure you're like me, man. I'm all in on RJ Oven. Let's make it happen. Oh, absolutely. Him, uh, Aeneas Peebles is actually a really good option, too. For Griffith, I mean. Hold on, hold on, Matt. As the reality of, of Louisville taking two Duke defensive linemen. Vince, what are your thoughts on that, potentially? <laughs> You really have to eat your words, man. <laughs> but, I mean, RJ's that's different, man. <laughs> that's different. RJ should be here to be yeah, shout out to Roman spilling the tea too about Satterfield not recruiting. His and son, we would no love interest. Christian Leitner if he would have transferred to Louisville. Okay, that's right. Okay, yeah. Matt. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but the irony there was too good to not point out. Oh, I know. But on, as of right now, just because of how the roster you know kind of shakes out and. Who, who they're losing to graduation or portal already. I mean, offensive and defensive line have to be, like, you know, top of the list right now. I mean, it's got to be. Um, an, another areas that they probably need to work on are tight, tied in for me, absolutely, because we all of us know how much how much the ceiling of a Jeff Brom offense is lifted when you have a go-to tight end. And it, it seemed like it was starting to take a turn upwards when they started incorporating the tight ends more towards the end of the season. So that's on there for me. Um, secondary is probably another area just because beyond like a couple starters, and they're probably going to lose Jarvis to the NFL. They're probably going to lose Quincy to the NFL. So they're going to have to replace those two guys. And I don't think that I think we probably have to get at least one like portal starter at corner. I think they're they probably need a safety for depth purposes, but that's really it. I feel confident in, in MJ and Devin Neal. Um, I know linebacker is probably not a huge portal need right now, but I'll be damned if I would not love to see Chris Paul in a Louisville uniform because that man could fucking ball at Arkansas. He was first team all uh, at all SEC, first team all SEC rookie team. 
Uh, he was a Louisville, a major Louisville target in high school. He was almost a surefire lock to come here until Arkansas swooped in at the last minute. Um, like he's he's a guy that you 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 find a way to put on the field and, and incorporate him into the roster because he's that good. All right, let's jump into the last bit of the show here. I shouldn't say last bit because we do have a special interview at the end of the show that I, you absolutely need to stick around for. But cash it or trash it. Let's do this. We're going to run through five propositions here. You guys are going to tell me whether you're cashing the bet or you're trashing the bet, okay? We're going to keep this okay. transfer portal 2024 focused. So let's lock in, have that look in your eyes. Let's get going with it, okay? We'll start at the top. Tyler Shuck will be the day one starter for Louisville in 2024. Are you cashing it or are you trashing it? Vince, I'll start with you. Fresh. I'm going with Pierce. I think Pierce is going to win the job out this year. I mean, I don't know if I'm in the minority uh, with Louisville fans that think that or what, but I think he's on roster for a reason. Uh, I've always thought that he's been one of the more polished when it comes fundamental-wise due to his dad uh, coming into school. Uh, and He's really just somebody I want to see on the field now. Jeff Brom's obviously the one that makes the calls on that, and if he decides to go with the other dude, then that's obviously the right decision. Matt, what do you think? Um, I'm going to cash it just because, I mean, as, as good as Pierce is, and he looked good in the fall, don't get me wrong, but, I mean, Tyler Shuck has six years of collegiate experience. He's taken a power conference team to a championship. He's, you know, won bowl games. He can – he can get down the field with his arms and both in his legs and not to say Pierce can't, but Shuck has already done it at the college level. We we haven't seen what Pierce can do at the college level yet. So I, I think Shuck barring them bringing in any more quarterbacks. I think he'll be the day one starter. I will also cash this. I think that when you look at the, the depth chart compared to last year, Louisville is not going to have five scholarship quarterbacks. I don't think I don't, I don't just don't see that happening, but I do think that you feel good with Tyler Shuck, Pierce Clarkson, Brady Allen, and Harrison Bailey as the four guys that you can lean on three scholarship quarterbacks and a high level walk on to some extent. They might add one more guy. When I say that it might be a Juco, it might be a Brock Doman type guy. It might be a, a, a D two all American type player. I don't see them bringing in any other big name quarterback uh, unless there's fear of Tyler Shuck's eligibility. Year seven is not always guaranteed. Like that's not necessarily uh, a foregone conclusion. I think that Louisville must feel really good about it, but still uh, they might keep their eye on it. But I think for now he is going to be the day one starter. Let's move into number two, keeping it at the quarterback spot. Uh, Vince, I don't even need to ask you this because I think you've answered the question, but Pierce Clarkson will start at least three games in 2024. Matt, what are you going to trash it? Yeah, you think so? You think he's going to get one game, <laughs> yeah. one and out? Or something crazy is going to happen, guys. Now get behind me on this, all right? <laughs> right. What do you think, Matt? You think he'll start three? I, I'm going to say cash it just because we haven't seen a healthy Tyler Shuck in four seasons. I mean, in, until the precedent is broken, I mean, we 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 probably are going to see Pierce Clarkson in some form in 2024 just because we, we haven't seen a healthy Tyler Shuck yet. Yeah. I'm right there with you, man. I think you have to go with where the betting odds would lie. And I think that if you were putting this like plus or minus, this is a minus bet. Like it's that Tyler Shuck is not going to play a full season. 
Um, and so I think that Pierce could potentially sneak in there. I also see a scenario where they play two quarterbacks consistently. I mean, maybe Tyler Shuck is the guy in the way to eliminate some of those durability concerns as you go back to that Brian Brom approach that you did with LaFours and Brom back in 04 where he gets a quarter or he gets, you know, four or five drives. And, and that's unconventional in today's day and age. You know, they say you have two quarterbacks, you have none. But in this situation, if durability is not your friend, there's ways to complement that. There's ways to offset that with a guy like Pierce. I'll go, I'll cash this. I think Pierce might start uh, potentially four, five, six games. I think by the end of the season, I think next year he is the guy. And I think we know it. And then going into 2025, the conversation is like, what's the ceiling with Pierce Clarkson? I do think there's some really interesting data out there about the high level transfers and how many years um, they play versus guys who develop in their program and end up playing two and three years. The data favors guys with who develop up, play a couple of years or transfer out or develop into that guy. It's just, it's really interesting. All right. Number three, this one's interesting to see what you guys think on this. I, I, I think we might disagree here. Cash it or trash it. Ashton Gelati returns to Louisville in 2024. Vince, what do you think? I'm cashing it. I think he will be in a U of L uniform. I think there's one more year of film that'll be needed to put on there. I don't think he'll get the now. I'm not saying he wouldn't get drafted if he put his name in the NFL draft. I don't think he's going to like where his name ends up. What do you think, Matt? I, I'm going to trash it. I, I I do think he's not going to go day one or day two in the NFL draft. But like at the very least, he's like. A, a mid, mid, early, mid day three kind of guy, but could he benefit from coming from an extra coming for an extra year? Absolutely. Do I think it ends up happening? No. Yeah, I I am also going to um cash this. I went back and forth for a couple of reasons. I think that the mock drafts are are mock drafts, but at this point, there's not any solid indication that Ashton is a first, second round pick, maybe third, um and. Vince alluded to he's got one year of tape the last two years he's not played more than a, you know six games I think seven games he's had injury concerns I also am not convinced that he would run the 40 well I, I don't know I mean I'm not I'm not saying he wouldn't but I don't know what that looks like and in the NFL when you're a speed rusher an edge rusher defensive end you got to run that well he's got a freaking house I just, to bench I just think he might what, break the record there on that he had what 11 sacks? 11, 11 sacks this season. And could, Why not you know? come back for another year? Put up if you put up 11 sacks two years in a row, I promise you will be with talking on that first day. I'm leaning towards Ashton returning because at this point, he would be the face not only of the defense, but of the team potentially. If Jaws comes back, then Ashton is the defensive face, but he's 11, 11 sacks. So oh. I think he'll be back. I think he's got a big opportunity. My only fear is Ashton graduates. And he's a Florida guy. And I'm not saying that there Ashton clearly loves Louisville and there is a connection there. But if Mark Ivey's here, I, I'm a betting man and I will put money that Ashton Gelati will be here. All right. Well, you heard it from Vince. You heard it from Vince. He's a guy, though, for me, just there's going to be a big name hit the portal. It's every year. I just, you know, with a guy who can graduate, big numbers. You know, we've seen that Tyler Harrell story before. Like, I just, it makes me a little nervous. We'll see. All right, let's do this one. This one's on the offensive side. Nate Kariski will be the leader in yards and touchdowns for tight ends in 2024. Will you cash that or will you trash that, Matt McGavick? I'm, I'm going to trash it just because no offense to Nate. And he Nate clearly looks good towards, towards the end of the season. 
But I, I really do think that tight end is going to be a, a a premium position that Louisville looks for in the transfer portal because of reasons that I've already said in this show. I, I, I'm not sure they're going to get like a Payne Durham type where he's like the tight end one and commands like 75% of the snaps at, in any given game. But I do think they can get a guy who can at least be the focal point at his position in the passing game. And while the tight end group as a whole got better in the last few games, it was still kind of like a by committee type of thing. So I I think that they're going to get a transfer, and I think whoever that transfer is ends up being the leader in yards and tight ends for yards and touchdowns for tight ends. I'm going to trash it as well. I think hopefully Jamari Johnson is the guy that steps up and ends up making those plays. Uh, but yeah, no offense to Nate. They, they would have went with it already if you know it was. It's not like we haven't had a whole year of product to look at. Yeah, I don't know where the I don't have the actually, I do have the stats pulled up in front of me here. Let me get to my handy dandy spreadsheet. And when you look at the tight end position this year, very close race, only 12 yards separating Nate Kariski and Joey Gatewood. The difference being. Nate Kariski had 16 catches to Joey Gatewood's nine. So the big play obviously was preferred from Joey Gatewood. One of them is going to catch a touchdown in the bowl game. They both have two on the season. So very similar in numbers. Um, I, I just, yeah, I think I'm with you guys both. I think this is interesting because Nate Kariski has become a bigger piece of the offense down the stretch. He's had some real big opportunities and has capitalized on some of them, but I'll, I'll trash this as well. And then finally here, we saw today in the 247 sports rankings of the, the uh, most likely to dominate in the portal that Louisville was considered to be one of the top schools. So Matt and Vince, Louisville will finish in the top 10 in transfer rankings by the end of the offseason. Will you cash that or will you trash that? Uh, I don't know. This is a complete <laughs> guess since I'm so out of date when it comes to portal-wise. I'm, I'm going to go cash it. Just based off last year and uh, how well Jeff Brom can bring in transfers. So, yeah, that's about all I got on that one. I know we'll do better in Colorado. Yeah, no kidding. Um, I, I'm going to cash it as well. I mean, so far, Louisville's done a good job at not losing a ton of meaningful contributors. And just through the first two days of the portal, like the winter portal window opening, They've already been in discussion with some several high-level guys, and I'm sure as the week goes on and the rest of the window goes on, uh, there's going to be you know even more you know high-profile guys into the portal. And Louisville hasn't shown a reluctance at all at talking to anyone. I mean, they were talk they were you know top suitors, quote unquote, with DJ Uyunglele before Tyler Shuck committed. They were linked to Kyle McCord, a, who started the entire season at Ohio state and, and as a former five-star guy. And there's other guys that, that kind of sprinkle in there who are, you know, highly regarded transfers who, who Louisville's been talking to. And as more guys enter, they're going to continue to talk to these guys. And I do think they'll eventually land a handful of really, really high profile transfers who exactly and who at what position. I don't know yet, but I think it's going to happen. And I think I don't, I'm not sure Louisville will be the king of the transfer portal like they were last season according to on three and the way that they calculate things. But I, I definitely think they'll be in the top 10 again. I'm just holding out for Ruben Owens. I hope, I hope he, uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm I mean, fingers hey, crossed they're... over here for that one, man. You want Ruben Owens? Yes. Ruben Bain. 
Ruben Bain too. Give me all the Rubens. Give me the all. Guy. Give me Double all the Rubens. X, give me all the Rubens. I want some portal with a side <laughs> of Ruben, man. Let's do it. Um, yeah, that's it. Cash or trash it. I, I'm. I'm. You know where I'm at with this. They're they're cashing this. Jeff Brom has been historically great in the portal with getting guys across the uh, the the gamut of power conferences. I expect them to bring some Purdue guys in. I expect them to get some some SEC guys, some maybe some Harvard Penn guys, some cool names. Let's get in there. Let's attack this portal and come out on the other side with a lot more Rubens than we got now. I think that's the that's a bold strategy. So. That, that will put a bow on the football of uh, Louisville football, at least. Stick around. We've got a, just a, a quick interview on the other side with Nick Young and the Bill Young Foundation. Vince is going to take us through um, what that means and how that is impacting the football community around Louisville. Some interesting stuff. Again, we are a football show. So stick around for that on the other side. But until then... Next week, we will come back. We'll be talking as we get closer. We'll USC portal probably be a completely different transfer portal by this time when we hit the uh, the airways next week. But, of course, we'll be covering it all, all the way up through the bowl game, all the way through the offseason as we do and have for the last couple of years. There's a reason why we are the first and only Louisville football podcast in this city, fellas, is because we do it right. We are nerds for some football. That's all I do. Football and bologna sandwiches. Football and bologna sandwiches, man. That's a great combination. <laughs> from the Pink Seeds podcast, you can find us anywhere you get your podcast from. Also on YouTube, subscribe at The State of Blue. Follow us on Twitter at Pink Seeds Pod, at UofL Report, at The State of Blue. Thank you guys so much for listening to the show. We are presented for Avenue Liquors and Wine, powered by the State of Louisville Podcast Network and Kearns Corner. Stick around here for this interview, and we will talk Louisville football next week when we come back. We'll see you then. We have a great interview to conclude this week's episode with a special guest. We're joined tonight by Nick Young, who is here on behalf of the Bill Young Memorial Foundation. And if you're into the local football scene, that is likely not a name that is new to you. Many folks in this area were fortunate enough to encounter Bill Young, ultimately becoming better people for it, including our own Vince Lococo. Nick is going to walk us through the foundation's purpose, what they are doing in the community, and how Bill's legacy is being carried on and will continue to be carried on for quite some time. Nick, first off, thank you for joining us. Super excited to have you on because if there's anything i love it's a good young vince story how are we how are we doing tonight doing good how about thank y'all for having me on here yeah yeah of course and we are we are doing wonderful uh as you may know we are a show prides itself on being in the details of football of course that kind of all focuses around louisville football uh week to week but we've had several guests on who have told us about work happening around the game and the communities that's changing people people's lives and before we get into that and the foundation, as I alluded to, Nick, as I mentioned, you're a Lococo witness. So put me back in your shoes just a handful of years ago watching the young man ball uh, prior to those knees giving out on him. Well, I mean, whenever he, whenever my dad coached him, I was tiny. I was a baby. So, I mean, I didn't really see much, but, I mean, they, they got their butts whooped every single day of practice. <laughs> to this day, Jacob, his dad put us through the hardest conditioning I think I ever did like it harder than any conditioning we did at Louisville at Trinity, anything like that. It was, uh, it was fun. It was definitely fun. I mean, I'm the football player I was because of people like his dad and everything. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, it's awesome to have him on and stuff. He was more yeah. like the remember the Titans kids. Remember if you've, if you've seen that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Him, yeah. He was his brother and his sister, all three running around at practice. <laughs> like it was the funniest shit you've ever seen. Yeah. But I love it. 
But Nick, why don't you go ahead and tell everyone uh, about your pops? I know I obviously know uh, who he is. Jacob got a brief update on who he was and everything. But uh, why don't you talk about what he did in J-Town, you know, what he did around the community and everything like that. All right. So my dad, Bill Young, he was he coached he coached football for many of years. Uh, He was on J-Town City Council member. He worked in J-Town. and he was a friend to everyone, really. He did a lot for everybody without even the mask, and he did a ton of stuff for everybody. I think that was, uh, you know, the favorite thing about your dad. It was, uh, you know, the generosity, the smile, everything like that. The keep making the donuts, as he always liked to say. And uh, oh yeah, yep. We'd have so why, why why don't you talk about uh, the foundation, what you guys do around J Town, and how you all help the community? Okay. So we're founded in 2021 and we're a nonprofit and it was created by friends of ours who wanted and my mom who wanted to start something to continue his legacy, which we had no idea. My mom had no idea what she wanted to do. She just said something. (laughs) And so a few of our friends got together and said, Hey, let's just try something. So they, I don't know how it came about. I was just there one day and they're like, here's what this is. And I was just like, okay. So basically the Bill Moore Foundation, we raise money throughout. We've raised $60,000 in the past since 2021. And 100% of it goes back to the J-Town community. That, that's definitely my, you know, the f- best part about uh, the foundation is being able to sit here and see, you know, where, the money goes the community how it helps everyone uh it's been really cool and it's cool to see uh you know his name and his legacy being carried on i mean there's so many people that he's impacted and you know the community just spreads out wild and uh you know it's kind of what we're hoping to do here with this show with you guys having uh your december 15th being the cutoff date for the uh the christmas donations so um why don't you talk about uh what's going on with the christmas donations and uh, how we can try and help some uh, some family around J some families around J Town. Uh, their Christmas really special. Yeah. So we all we all love Christmas. I mean, who can't? And some people some people don't have the opportunity. Like, so like when my dad passed when he when my dad passed three years ago, we had so much support from J Town, and not everybody has that support. And ever since we started, I was just like, we need to give people what they need for Christmas. Like that was one of my main things I wanted to do. So over the three years we've had, we had, we have supported around 25 kids overall. This year we're adding another 10 to that, hopefully with, with all our, with, um, with all the donations from everybody. Yes. Um, we call it the give a family Christmas because, uh, Everyone needs Christmas. Doing. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it and we just want every kid to have a special Christmas. I mean, I we we do all the shopping ourselves, all the wrapping, and I get friends of mine. We everybody we just have a big basically wrapping party, and we just have a good old time. It's great. So the, knowing your family and stuff, it's got to be some good gifts and everything. I mean, oh yeah, oh yeah. When I go shopping, they're like, "What are you getting?" I go, "I don't know yet." We're gonna find out, and they're like. 
I just have I just have a ball with it. It's Hell, it's, shit, it's stuff I it's stuff I would want to get to be yeah, honest. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? It's great. It's so much fun. So Nick, man, just keeping it short and sweet. Uh, where can people find the find the Bill Young Memorial Foundation? Where can people uh, website, Facebook, Twitter, yep. you know, all that? Why don't you go ahead and plug everything like that? Alrighty, so you can find us at the Bill Young Memorial Foundation dot com. You can also find us the Bill Young Memorial Foundation on Facebook and Instagram. And you can make donations through the website. You can go to the Facebook, check out all the donations we've made. Instagram too it tells you everything you need to know. You can meet our presidents, our president, our board members, everybody. So just a little bit of an overview, overview, guys. They've raised uh sixty thousand over sixty thousand dollars now. Is that what you said, Nick? Yes, yes. So over sixty thousand dollars. They've helped uh, fill backpacks uh, with the Jaytown Police Department for kids around the community. Uh, they've held events at Rec Bar and the Jaytown Beach. Uh, they're doing these quarterly donations to JAM, which is Jefferson Town Area Ministry. And like I said, guys, this December 15th is the cutoff line if you want to donate for Christmas. And, uh, you know, like Nick said, every, every kid, every family deserves a Christmas. So if we can help make somebody's uh, holiday special or extra special, uh, that would be great. Nick, thank you so much. Thank your family. I can't thank your father enough for uh Thank you know, you, everything he did for me, man. Uh, mm -hmm. Like I've told you guys numerous times, I would never have been the football player I am uh, without your family, without your dad and uh, everybody. So I'm I'm forever indebted to you guys. Thank you. Thank you. All right. That'll do it. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. And again, go out, support the foundation. Uh, I know we talk a lot about in joking uh, manner, of course, about J-Town and Vince's love for J-Town. But uh, it truly is. Uh, it is really great to see uh, the community come together and support people who are in need. So we're slowly uh, getting him in, in the into J-Town, Nick. Don't worry. He'll, he'll be there. He'll be there eventually. <laughs> you're, you're lucky. I love you, buddy. All right. That'll wrap <laughs> us up. We'll see you next week. Until then, go Cards. As we alluded to, we have a great interview to conclude this week's episode with a special guest. We're joined tonight by Nick Young, who is here on behalf of the Bill Young Memorial Foundation. And if you're into the local football scene, that is likely not a name that is new to you. Many folks in this area were fortunate enough to encounter Bill Young, ultimately becoming better people for it, including our own Vince Lococo. Nick is going to walk us through the foundation's purpose, what they are doing in the community, and how Bill's legacy is being carried on and will continue to be carried on for quite some time. Nick, first off, thank you for joining us. Super excited to have you on because if there's anything i love it's a good young vince story how are we how are we doing tonight doing good how about thank y'all for having me on here yeah yeah of course and we are we are doing wonderful uh as you may know we are a show prides itself on being in the details of football of course that kind of all focuses around louisville football uh week to week but we've had several guests on who have told us about work happening around the game and the communities that's changing people people's lives and before we get into that in the foundation, as I alluded to, Nick, as I mentioned, you're a Lococo witness. So put me back in your shoes just a handful of years ago watching the young man ball uh, prior to those knees giving out on him. Well, I mean, whenever he whenever my dad coached him, I was tiny. I was a baby. So, I mean, I didn't really see much, but I mean, they they got their butts whooped every single day of practice. <laughs> to this day, Jacob, his dad put us through the hardest conditioning. I think I ever did like Ed, harder than any conditioning we did at Louisville at Trinity, anything like that. It was, uh, it was fun. It was definitely fun. I mean, I'm the football player I was 
because of people like his dad and everything. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, it's awesome to have him on and stuff. He was more yeah. like the Remember the Titans kids. Remember if you've, if you've seen that movie? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah. Him, yeah, he was. his brother, and his sister, all three running around at practice. <laughs> like, it was the funniest shit you've ever seen. Yeah, but I love it. But Nick, why don't you go ahead and tell everyone uh, about your pops? I know, I obviously know uh, who he is. Jacob got a brief update on who he was and everything, but... Uh, why don't you talk about what he did in J-Town, uh, you know, what he did around the community and everything like that. All right. So my dad, Bill Young, he was, he coached at, he coached football for many of years. Uh, he was on J-Town city council member. He worked in J-Town. Um, and he was a friend to everyone, really. He did a lot for everybody without even the mask. And he did a ton of stuff for everybody. I think that was, uh, you know, the favorite thing about your dad. It was, uh, you know, the generosity, the smile, everything like that. The keep making the donuts, as he always liked to say. And uh, oh, yeah, yeah. So why, why why don't you talk about uh, the foundation, what you guys do around J Town, and how you all help the community? Okay, so we're founded in 2021, and we're a nonprofit. And it was created by friends of ours who wanted, and a mom who wanted to start something to continue his legacy, which we had no idea. My mom had no idea what she wanted to do. She just said something. <laughs> and so a few of our friends got together and said, hey, let's just try something. So they, I don't know how it came about. I was just there one day and they're like, here's what this is. And I was just like, okay. So, basically, the Bill and Moore Foundation, we raise money throughout. We've raised $60,000 in the past, since 2021, and 100% of it goes back to the J-Town community. That, that's definitely my, you know, the best part about uh, the foundation is being able to sit here and see, you know, where the money goes, the community, how it helps everyone, uh, it's been really cool, and it's cool to see, uh, you know, his name and his legacy being carried on. I mean, there's so many people that he's impacted, and, you know, the community just spreads out wild. And, uh, you know, it's kind of what we're hoping to do here with this show, with you guys having uh, your December 15th being the cutoff date for the uh, the Christmas donations. So yeah, yeah. Um, why don't you talk about uh, what's going on with the Christmas donations and uh, how we can try and help some uh, some family around J some families around J Town. Uh, their Christmas really special. Yeah. So we all we all love Christmas. I mean, who can't? And some yeah. people some people don't have the opportunity. Like, so like when my dad passed when he when my dad passed three years ago, we had so much support from J Town, and not everybody has that support. And ever since we started, I was just like, we need to give people what they need for Christmas. Like that was one of my main things I wanted to do. So over the three years we've had, we had, we have supported around 25 kids overall. This year we're adding another 10 to that, hopefully with, with all our, with, um, with all the Support. donations from everybody. Yes. Um, we call it the give a family Christmas because, uh, Everyone needs Christmas. Doing. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, and we just want every kid to have a special Christmas. I mean, I we we do all the shopping ourselves, all the wrapping, and I get friends of mine. We 
everybody we just have a big basically rapping party and we just have a good old time it's great so the, knowing your family and stuff it's got to be some good gifts and everything i mean oh yeah oh yeah when i go shopping they're like what are you getting i go i don't know yeah we're gonna find out and they're like I just have I just have a ball with it. It's no, it's, it's stuff I it's stuff I would want to get to be yeah, honest. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? It's great. It's so much fun. So Nick, man, just keeping it short and sweet. Uh, where can people find the find the Bill Young Memorial Foundation? Where can people uh, website, Facebook, Twitter, yep. you know, all that? Why don't you go ahead and plug everything like that? All righty. So you can find us at the Bill Young Memorial Foundation dot com. You can also find us, the Bill Young War Foundation, on Facebook and Instagram. And you can make donations through the website. You can go to the Facebook, check out all the donations we've made. Instagram, too. It tells you everything you need to know. You can meet our presidents, our president, our board members, everybody. So just a little bit of an overview, overview guys. They've raised uh, 60, 000, over $60,000 now. Is that what you said, Nick? Yes, yes. So over $60,000, they've helped uh, fill backpacks uh, with the J-Town Police Department for kids around the community. Uh, they've held events at Rec Bar and the J-Town Beach. Uh, they're doing these quarterly donations to JAM, which is Jefferson Town Area Ministry. And like I said, guys, this December 15th is the cutoff line if you want to donate for Christmas. And, uh, you know, like Nick said, every kid, every family deserves a Christmas. So if we can help make somebody's uh, holiday special or extra special uh, that would be great nick thank you so much thank your family i can't thank your father enough for uh you, you know you. everything he did for me man uh, mm -hmm. like i've told you guys numerous times i would never have been the football player i am uh without your family without your dad and uh everybody so i'm i'm forever indebted to you guys thank you thank you all right, that'll do it. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. And again, go out, support the foundation. Uh, I know we talk a lot about in joking uh, manner, of course, about J-Town and Vince's love for J-Town, but uh, it truly is. Uh, it is really great to see uh, the community come together and support people who are in need. So we're slowly uh, getting him in, in the into J-Town, Nick. Don't worry. He'll, he'll be there. <laughs> he'll be there eventually. <laughs> you're, you're lucky. I love you, buddy. All right. That'll wrap <laughs> us up. We'll see you next week. Until then, go Cards. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.